Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another chapter of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, your co-host for today, and I'm here today with the author of a really exciting new book um, that really blew me away, and I can't wait to talk about it. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Sure. Hi, Jen. Um, I'm Lily Brooks-Dalton, and I'm here to talk about The Light Pirate, which is my new book. Thank you so much for coming. Um, could you tell me a little bit about, um, this is a big question, but about your writing career and kind of how it led you to this book? Like, what are your interests? What are the topics that have, uh, you know, caught your fancy as you've written? And how did it lead you into The Light Pirate? Sure. Um, so this is my third book. Um, my first book was actually a memoir called Motorcycles I've Loved. Uh, and I never, you know, I didn't really set out to write a, <laughs> to write nonfiction. Fiction had always been my main interest, but I was writing these essays and, um, someone suggested to me that they could be a book. And so that's kind of how the first one came about. And then from there, I wrote, um, Good Morning Midnight, which is my first novel and my second book. And, um, and that one, um, was you know my first venture into fiction also into sci-fi um and I think you know there are a lot of ways in which um that book and this one are really interested in loneliness versus solitude um they're both really interested in the landscape as a character unto itself um and I've kind of recently been thinking about how um, in my work, I'm really interested in um, uh, letting mysteries stay mysterious, not, not wanting to answer every question, um, you know, sort of like the beauty of a thread that is left dangling a little bit, even though I... I <laughs> I definitely have heard from readers who like don't love that as much or, you know, just like really want to have all the answers and to know what happens um, to everyone. Uh, and yeah, to just like tie everything, tie everything off. Um, but I'm, I don't know, to me, like leaving a, some, to me, it's like a matter of, um, I think of it as negative space, right? Like negative space and visual art, like what you can um, learn by noticing what's not there. Um, so those are just, a, a, I guess, a few of the th through lines um, in my work, but yeah. I love that. That is so interesting to me. And I really particularly like the idea that you let the mysteries stay mysterious because that's always been um, something that I really loved in storytelling uh, when you don't get all the answers at the end um, mm -hmm. for two reasons because one like that's often what life is like you know <laughs> like we rarely get uh, explanations for why things happen to us you know that satisfy us but two um, like those are the stories that tend to stay with me more you know like kind of the way that like um, 
you know, getting all the answers sort of puts a bow on everything and closes it up, gives you closure. And then you can move on to talk about other things. But like when you don't get those answers, it really lingers. And I think that's a really cool and interesting storytelling choice. Yeah, I totally agree on both counts. I mean, on the first one, um, you know, I think you're so right. I, um, I've actually said that before, like it's, it's how life works is we don't get all the answers and it's such an intrinsic part of being a human being (laughs) and being alive and learning how to, um, exist within that uncertainty and, and work, work with it. Um, and then secondly, you know, I think there's a way in which leaving space to invite a reader into the work, to, um, come to their own conclusions, to imagine their own um, outcomes. I, I don't know. I think there's just something really special for me as a reader when I find a book that um, is making space for my imagination alongside the author's. Um, because, you know, a novel is such a collaborative experience, like between reader and writer. Um, it's It's not like a film where you um, are kind of given all the the senses, well, not all of them, but <laughs> there's like a little less room, you know, to, to come in and bring your own um, ideas to it. But um, it's something really special about books, I think. Oh, absolutely. That's a really interesting distinction to make because I'm also a fan of film. But like, yeah, books invite you to participate more. Like you have to do a little bit more work to get immersed in them. Um, and that is something that I found very easy to do with this book, actually, like um, imagining myself in this opening scene um, of this this horrifying hurricane. Um, you know, it's 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 rendered so evocatively and it's really easy to understand the fear that would come like not only with going through something like that in the moment, but just the general fear of living in um you know, I think you term it like the cone of uncertainty in the book, like in this this area that is vulnerable to hurricanes. Um, and, you know, it felt very real while I was reading it because like I have uh, my sister and my nieces live in Florida uh, outside Orlando. And so like there's a hurricane passing through there right now. And I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, wow, this is all very real. <laughs> um but could you talk a little bit about um, this opening scene and whether I'm curious about like whether this storm was your inception point, like your way into the story? Like, did the storm, the event come first and then the aftermath follow? Or did you imagine the world that the hurricane produced first, if that makes any sense? No, that makes complete sense. I'm just I'm not sure I remember which <laughs> like what came first. I know that. Um, you know, my, my parents live in Florida and, um, I didn't grow up there, but it's been my kind of home base for my whole adult life. Um, and I had been spending a little more time there than I usually do. I had, um, was working at two different writing residencies that both happened to be in Florida. And, um, when I was in Key West at the studios of Key West, um, there was a hurricane coming through and there was something about that sort of, um, ritual of preparing, um, and just like how seamlessly, like everyone knew what to do. Um, and just watching that community, you know, rise to the uncertainty, to the challenge of, 
of this coming storm really stirred up something for me. Um, so that's, that's definitely, um, I think probably the beginning of the book, but, um, I always knew that I wanted to move beyond the world, the, the, the timeline that we're in, like the, the world as we know it, I wanted to link the two together. Like that was always kind of part of, um, the conceit for the book is wanting to begin in a time that feels now-ish. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I started writing this book in 2016, which since then we've had Hurricane Maria. We just had Ian, like um, what at the time felt to me like tomorrow is now feels like today. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to begin there and then just like push out into this sort of um, unknown future and bring in some, some, I guess some sci-fi elements. There's like a little thread of magical realism, um, as well, but I wanted to make sure that everything felt grounded and possible. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it started. Oh, nice. Yeah. I am, particularly interested in in the way that this book relates to genre because um you know it touches on many uh, like some of the ones that you've just discussed and more while you know at the same time kind of resisting categorization and I'm wondering if there were um you know if if conceptualizing these genres helped you pick the path that the story would go you know or if like you wanted to subvert uh, genre expectations? Like what was your relationship to genre here? I love that question. Um, I, it's funny. I think in the the book that I'm working on right now, I'm thinking so much more about genre in a conscious way. I think with the light pirate, I was kind of just like, so each, there are a few sections in the book. Um, so it's organized by power, which is the section that's dealing with hurricanes and like you know, these powerful storms, and then it moves into water, and then light, and then time. And so I was really using that structure to guide the pacing of the book, Mm. and also the shape of each of those sections. Like, so I wanted power to feel really fast and um, sudden and kind of shocking, which it sounds like a thriller, you know, Um, but, but it it wasn't totally on my mind that I was like, okay, part one is going to be like a thriller. And then part two, it was more um, kind of conceiving of these elemental structures and, and trying to make the, the writing match those and, and just like, yeah, move within um, that framework. Mm, That's really cool because, um, you know, like each, each section almost works as a novella, you know, as well as like as a as a piece of this broader narrative. And I think it's just like so artfully structured. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I and I, you know, in, in terms of the um, more fantastical elements, um, I think that um, is something that I've always loved to play with and that I'm really interested in playing with. But there's also this very um, I don't know. I feel like there's this anchor inside of my creative self. That's like, it has to be, 
it has to be believable though. Like it has to be adhered to a certain amount of reality, which I think is, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but like, um, I, it's been interesting throughout, you know, these different books to try and like pull away, like see how, how far that rope goes, like how far we can wander away from that anchor. Um, so that was definitely something I was conscious of in this book is like wanting this feeling of magic to be inside of it, um, in a subtle way, but to, yeah, to be really kind of, I don't know. There, I mean, I think it, because I was so drawn to using Florida as a real character in the book, I there is something intrinsically magical to me about landscape and 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 like the world we live in. <laughs> Just not really a fresh take, but like I wanted that to that feeling to be in the book. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I thought a lot about while reading this is that that balance between realism and magic and how you navigate it while also, you know, keeping the reader grounded in the story, but allowing yourself to play with these different elements. Wanda in particular, you know, the character who is born at the inception of the story and whose life the story traces has a really rich internal world Mm -hmm. and she has really interesting and complex relationships um with uh her family members and the people that she kind of finds along the way as she's like navigating this world and so I guess I guess you know what I was really trying to get at is it does Wanda's emotional journey speak to the world building and the development of the story if that makes sense Yeah, I think that's part of the fun of pulling in a landscape in this way where you're kind of giving it, I mean, it's alive without my help, but like giving it a little more um, life, so to speak, is that it then does adhere to the characters and to those arcs in this kind of this specific way um, where you know, a, a main character has to grow right across the course of a, of a story or, or change in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in making a landscape, a main character, it too must, must change. And so I think in this book, there's a very physical and like tangible way in which that's happening, but also, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was uh, definitely on my mind wanting to just like give a hint of consciousness to mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. landscape as well and and a little bit of agency even yeah I asked a very opaque question so <laughs> no I loved it I loved it that's a really interesting train of thought <laughs> um like that is one of the things that you know really spoke to me as I was reading um is is the way that the environment uh plays a role in it and you know I think that like a, we love to toss around the, the the phrase like, oh, the city is a character in this or like, you know, like the town is a character in this book. But oftentimes I think we're that could just mean like, you know, it determines like the mise-en-scene or like the mood of the piece or anything. But like you really imagine the environment to have like almost a will and a perspective in a lot of ways, you know, and that 
that decentering of the human, I guess, or at least making the environment as important as the human is just like lends such an interesting perspective to the story here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm um I'm thinking it makes me think about the I I call them interludes. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's the word that always comes to mind for them. Um that pop up within each section that is literally kind of uh playing with that perspective of like what is the perspective of this hurricane? What is the perspective of um the rising sea level? Like what, you know, um and it was really hard to get those sections to a place that I felt good about because I think there's this way in which it can just feel like too much and um, overly um, like too flowery, too over the top, just like, you know, but it was at this. So I really struggled with those, but at the same time, I was like, it's really important to me that these are here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of integral to what I'm trying to do that we have this sense of um, a gaze that is so much larger and, and more varied and more omniscient than, than any human can really hold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's really fascinating, you know, and I, I'm very curious about like how you, what your process was for giving voice to these various like elemental forces or these like, you know, big concepts that structure our lives like time, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and something that you achieve very well is just, you know, sort of um, like conveying how, um such a different long perspective would make human lives take on such a different kind of like scale or relative, uh, I don't want to say importance because lives are important, obviously, but just like uh, the amount of space, I guess they take up sort of like on this grand, you know, scale of space time that structures like the environment, you know, a lot more than our lives. Um so when you were um, structuring the story around Wanda, and I would love to talk about her a little bit more because she's so fascinating. Imagining Wanda and both, you know, sort of the forces and the the things around her as like actors in this story. What sort of um, perspective do you think this lends you on like our world um, that differ from like, so I think that when you tell stories at a human scale, it's very easy to fall into stories of like, you know, progress and achievement and these sort of very um, structured, like hero's journey type stories. But you really challenge us to take like a longer view on stories that really, I think, change the way that you look at like human achievement and what it has meant for the world. Uh, So I guess what I'm getting at is like, what do you think, like including the environment and its perspective, like what do you think that has to offer us as people like learning to live within this world that is like changing because of our actions, you know? Totally. Um, Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that kind of brings me back to when I first started conceiving of the book and and the clock of it um, and knowing that I wanted to use a single lifetime, a single human lifetime as the kind of, you know, boundaries of the book. 
Um, and part of the reason I wanted to do that, I mean, the book is, you know, about many things, but one of them is, is climate change and the climate catastrophe that we find ourselves in. Mm. And I think something that has really, um, has really like made it difficult for us as a culture to engage with this problem is our relationship to time Mm. and um, our inability to really truly look beyond our own lifetime. Um, And, you know, (laughs) because of that, we find ourselves in the situation that we're in today um, in which these things are are occurring within our lifetime, you know? Um, and so I, I wanted to chart that transition between, um, this sort of ambiguous anxiety that I think many, if not all of us are experiencing in terms of the climate and and what's happening to the land we live on, um, into like these, these projections that right now we're experiencing as academic papers and um, really terrifying headlines and, you know, this sort of, um, yeah, these projections into a future that we um, are starting to imagine and be really frightened by, but have not encountered yet. Mm. Um, And so, okay, let me try and (laughs) bring this back around to, um, Yeah, so I I think in terms of using these perspectives and um, the scale of the timeline in the book as a way to um, try and open up a a reader's perspective on on what um, on on. This is so tricky to talk about because, um, you know, for all the obvious reasons, but like, I I think this is part of my inability to articulate what I want to say is is in fact, like what the point is in Mm -hmm. in, within the book is like, um, how can we even have productive conversations about this without veering into sort of just like gloom and which is not to say that's not important it's like you know feel feel your feelings but like there's a point at which conversations about climate change and the climate crisis feel unhelpful Mm. they or they feel futile or they feel like they're not leading anywhere. We're just like on this hamster wheel of anxiety about this problem that we cannot even conceive of solving. Um, And, you know, it becomes easier to just talk about something else Mm -hmm. Um, and and to kind of like set it on the shelf and address the problem of your day. You know, like, what are you going to have for lunch? Um, (laughs) Did you get in a fight with your partner? Like that kind of so those two scales, I think we're living with those polarities right now, um, all the time. And I think there's this cognitive dissonance that 
we all feel when those are, you know, necessarily bouncing up against each other in our daily lives um, of just like where to point our attention. It's, it's making me think of, um, you know, uh, needing glasses and the difference between um, being short-sighted or nearsighted and farsighted and just like, um, yeah, I guess we all just need a pair of bifocals. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause we are sort of like, um, the whole climate question. And I think this is what makes, you know, the way that you just explained it makes me feel so much better about the inarticulateness of my own questions. Cause I'm like, yeah, it is hard to talk about this because like, we're trying to get outside of our human perspective and we're humans and that's really hard. Um, but it speaks to how how big a challenge the messaging is too, because on the one hand, you want to be realistic and convey the urgency in a way that will like perhaps spur people to action. But on the other hand, you don't want to make it sound so dire and so fatalistic that it moves people to not do anything because they think that the cause is helpless, you know? And so getting that, um, the conveying the urgency while also not overwhelming um, our ability to sort of like grapple with the problem is immensely, immensely difficult. And there's something about like experiencing um, what climate can do to a place over the course of one human life that, you know, it conveys the awe and the magnitude of it, but it also makes it like just a little bit more digestible, which I think is something like really really admirable and, and, and stunning that this book does. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a liberty that the book takes in that. I don't think it's realistic that this will happen over a single <laughs> lifetime. If someone was born today, that this is where things would end up, but I don't know, maybe like crazy stuff happens all the time. <laughs> like I think that, has really been an experience that we've all shared the past couple of years of just like seeing these um, happenings around the world coming down the pike and showing up in our news feeds and, um, and just having to really quickly adjust to this thing that we felt we either didn't think about it at all, or if we did, felt was so unlikely that it wasn't even really on the radar of possibility. Um, and then suddenly it's arrived and we're adjusting to it. Um, so yeah, it's been really strange to be working on this book and over the past few years. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been odd. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's, it's really, um, you know, really fascinating that like in a way history could almost like outpace the creative process, you know, because like you were writing the situation, like as we're seeing it unfolding, you know, and it's, it's just um, like very, um, very timely and it, but it also feels like it speaks to the the future in a very important way. And I think like what's really important about it too is that it does, I guess, like relating to the mess messaging issue I was talking about, that it is very uh, honest and it's very unwavering in its depiction of like how 
hard human life would be under those conditions, but it is also like hopeful and, you know, like it does sort of like make you marvel at the human spirit, you know, and how adaptable individuals and communities can be. Um, and I wanted to ask about Florida too, because I think like that, you know, um, like Florida is the butt of so many jokes and it's very easy to sort of, um, I think, look at it very cynically, you know, especially uh, from our vantage point. But this is a very loving portrait of Florida, like even though as it acknowledges like some of the the like the, the challenges, you know, and I'm wondering <clears throat> about like how your time in Florida in these um these writing residences, how that inflected your perspective on Florida and how it showed up in your story. Yes, I love that you brought this up because Florida does occupy this really um, unkind place in our in our collective um, understanding. And uh, I think it's really unfair. Um, and uh, well, you know, I think so my my history with Florida, my relationship to Florida, um, kind of became much more personal to me when my parents decided to move there, um, when I was, I think 20, 21, something around there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I had grown up in Vermont my whole life and, um, had this, you know, really, this relationship to snow and New England. And, you know, I was like, this is part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And so when they moved to Florida, I was kind of like, what, why I Florida's dumb. Like, I don't want, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And, um, sort of ha so had that journey of, of maybe tagging on to that cultural understanding of what Florida is, you know, it's like the Florida man, it's Disney world. Disneyland, Disney World. I can never remember which one is which. World, um, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, I should know because I live in Los Angeles. But um, you know, this idea of poverty and drug addiction and and uh, spring break and mm. all these extremes, um, and then spending so much more time there in my twenties, um, you know, because this is where my parents are now mm -hmm. and then spending even more time there during these writing residencies, I came to really appreciate, um, the landscape. I mean, it's a, it's a stunning climate, mm -hmm. um, that is so varied. There's so many incredible plants there, animals, like it's so much more than, and it's cities too, which isn't to like discount it's, more populated areas, you know, the other, I mentioned the residency in Key West and the other one was at the Kerouac house in Orlando. Mm. And Orlando is this city that I think is hard for most people to separate from whichever Disney that is, I think world, I think, <laughs> right. Um, but it's its own city with its own like rich history and, um, and, and current culture. And, um, so yeah, I've definitely been on my own little journey in terms of how I think about Florida. Um, and the more time that I spent there, the more um, fascinating I found it. it because it does hold so many polarities. I mean, just politically, obviously, um, 
economically, I, you know, I think we see this, we're seeing this a lot in terms of the disasters that have hit Florida, you know, Hurricane Ian, like who can afford to rebuild and who can't, Mm. Um, you know, I think Florida is also the one of many front lines of climate change. Um, So there, there there's so many things going on in this, in this state. Um, And it's so, um, I don't know, I think it, it, it has become sort of this two-dimensional joke in, in other parts of the country. And I, I don't like that. And um, yeah, so I wanted to, I don't know if that's part of where the book came from. I think it was just spending time there, but the more that I worked on it, the more I felt like this is, um, this matters to me that there's like, that I do, that this portrait is, is nuanced and not, um, Mm. not kind of tagging onto that constant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really shows, you know, how in order to kind of like really understand a place, you have to really cultivate empathy, you know, like, because I think like one of the maybe like one of the not so great parts of human nature is that we love like schadenfreude, you know, and we love to like uh, create situations in our heads where we imagine that like people are responsible for their suffering, you know, or like they've made decisions that like land them in the places that they are. And so it's so easy for people outside of Florida to be like, well, you know, like, yeah, look where they chose to live, look how they vote, look at, look at any number of things, you know? And I think that like um, resisting that sort of like easy um, labeling creates a much more empathetic portrait for both its people and and the land and the the other non-human uh, lives that occupy it, you know. Absolutely, yeah, I love that. I think, um, yeah, if empathy isn't a central piece of a a novel, then you know what it, what's what's that? What is it doing? Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, well, I loved this book so much and I'm wondering if you have any uh projects on the horizon that you're able to speak to like are these issues um you know are these issues that you're carrying forward with you into your future writing are you exploring new areas or you know what's going on (laughs) yeah totally well actually I think in a lot of ways the light pirate um is a little bit of a companion to my previous novel, Good Morning Midnight, and just, I mean, they're very different, but I think they're both, um, they're, they're partners in kind of what they're getting at. And so moving forward, I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to make a little bit of a departure. Um, and, uh, it was also just so taxing to work on this book. It was just, it was so sad to spend so many years in this world, which um, is also a hopeful world. I hope, I hope, I think. Um, but, but you know, just like going there day after day was was tough. So, so after this book, I was like, I want to write some fantasy. Uh, so that's what I'm working on now, um, which is, and when I say fantasy, I, I don't know. I think. Um, people bring their own, um, their own, uh, assumptions to that genre, but I'm, I'm working more with like this sort of 
absurd surrealist kind of fantasy and it's been it's been fun um I don't know how much I can really say about it more than that but um I'm yeah I really needed something a little bit more lighthearted and um and and again to try and kind of see how far away I could get from that anchor of reality and really play with that constraint that I have um been feeling over these past few books Mm. Well, that sounds really cool. And I would love, you know, if when, you know, when that project finally comes to uh, our, you know, our libraries and our bookstores, if you would come back and talk to us again, because I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. We, um, there's a lot of really hard, hard to voice questions (laughs) and you did a really good job of answering them, even if they weren't always coherent. So thank you. Thank you, Jen. I would love to come back anytime. This was so much fun. Um, it was a really perfect way to kick off this whole book press thing that we do. Thank you so much. Um, okay, listeners. So as of, uh, as of the day that you hear this, the light pirate will be available at your nearest bookstore or library. Uh, this has been Jen in conversation with Lily Brooks Dalton, and it is time to close this chapter. Bye-bye. It's time to close this chapter of turn the page. Join us for the next episode.